Welcome to the Client Experience Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Raya Gonzalez. And today we have a very special guest, Dee Fretwell of The Life Dom. And Dee, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Raya. Nice to be here. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, your business, and how you serve people. Yeah, I, over at the Life Dom, we work with both for-profit and non-profit businesses, quite often working towards some sort of strategic planning of some kind, whether it's business plan or strategic funding. We do a lot of work in operational aspects of the organization. I've spent 20 years doing this with with both types of uh, businesses and have drawn a lot of good experience and stories from such (laughs) experience. Well, we titled this podcast, How Not to Start a Nonprofit. And I know that you have decades of experience in the nonprofit space. And so it seems like it would be contradictory, but I think that it actually, you know, what we were talking about was more of a positive spin on things. So for people who are not super familiar with the nonprofit space, What would you say is like a common fallacy around nonprofits or, you know, common thoughts around nonprofits that just don't pan out the way that they think, you know, that people think they're going to? Yeah, I think folks often will perceive a nonprofit as less corporate, fueled by passion primarily or by the motivation to reach a particular mission. And that is where we find weakness there, right? Because they're not coming at it from a very systemic position in a corporate world where set with guidelines and expectations and outcomes often really tying into the bottom line. And that's not too dissimilar from a nonprofit. And people forget that part. The bottom line in a nonprofit happens to be the mission, right? It's the mission statement. What's fueled the purpose of even having this nonprofit or participating with the nonprofit? And we've seen that start shifting pretty greatly over the last 10 to 15 years, seeing some of the corporate world start to bleed into the nonprofit side which I think has been very beneficial, but it means it's also opened it up to a lot of new participants and different levels of engagement with nonprofits. Yeah. So that number go up really incredibly when it comes to the number of nonprofit organizations themselves. Well, the closest example that I have to this was my mom actually... So I have a younger sister who's two days younger than my daughter. She's 22. She'll be 22 next month. And she went through private school all the way through, well, all the way through, but at the time it was close to middle school and there was no private school in the area. And so my mom was trying to put together a private school that was a nonprofit. And so she had to do like all of this education, like she took classes at the local college, like, and she was spearheading and trying to get people to, you know, come on board with her. And what she found was that there was a lot of red tape involved and there was a lot of bureaucracy and it wasn't just a like rah, rah, come together around a mission type of a thing, but it was actually very corporate in the sense that, you know, you have to have articles of corporation, basically, you, you know, if you're going to get grants, if you're going to try to fund outside, you really have to know what you're doing. And if you're doing it with a passion project without the business knowledge, it can be extremely um, prohibitive to success. And ultimately she had to give up the project because she was 
the only one who really was running it and she needed additional support. We see that a lot. And a part of what happens in a nonprofit, especially at the beginning, is that you have to develop this circle around you, right? You circle the wagons of people who are really invested in this particular mission with you. They believe in you as the founder. And that ends up becoming your board of directors. Commonly, it's actually folks that maybe you're related to them or they're your best friends or they're great neighbors. You know, sometimes you find people who are really just strictly bought into the mission. Normally, it ends up being somebody you have a personal relationship with. Mm -hmm. And that means that pretty quickly, the organization has outgrown the board's capacity. They don't have the right types of expertise to really guide this nonprofit into a more successful sphere or zone. It ends up, you know, just being that founding board who has done such great work to help get the nonprofit off the ground. But when you start needing CPA advice or legal advice or, you know, having the right kind of guidance towards any sort of regulatory anything, it's not terribly often that we have friends and relatives who can encompass all of that. Right. You're kind of left standing with your pants down, right? You you just suddenly... I feel like it's almost more complex than starting a business. It often really, really is because you have to adhere. It's not... This is one of the big complaints about nonprofit positioning is that you never ask Nike what they've done with that 160 bucks that you just gave them for the shoes. They don't have to defend themselves for any reason. With a nonprofit, the minute you get funding, you have to defend every single penny of expenditure. And so there's like this duality here where on one level, you know, your your ultimate mission here is to service whatever your service right. is service. And yet you're being asked to also administrate over that times a million compared to what a for-profit does, which is strictly just to raise a bunch of money and, and make make everybody as profitable as they can. So it's interesting to see that duality for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Why would you say, you know, when we say how not to start a nonprofit, what do, what does that mean for you? Yeah, that's kind of my my chant, isn't it? Um, I, lo- I mean, I love it, but I but I want I want people to experience and understand like what that actually means for you. The reason why you wouldn't start a nonprofit is because of a couple different things. First, if we look at it quantitatively. When you have more of something, you literally have more, which means that if you're trying to divvy up funding or the number of volunteers or private funders, donors, attendees, employees, board members, the more nonprofits you have, the less that you're going to be able to get from just anybody, right? You're asking too much of your population. You're asking if there's 100 nonprofits out there and you really only need 15 or 20, all of a sudden they're hit with so much that they can't. They can't just give a lot to any one person. They're they're very, how would you say it? Just spread thin. thin. Yeah, exactly. Way too thin. And so you start losing out on this opportunity to really find great fits for your volunteers and your donors and your grantors and board members and such, because there's just too much out there. And what we miss is that it's not terribly often that we all come up with the most unique idea. There are a lot of really wonderful nonprofits uh, profits out there who are either coming really close or who are probably doing damn near exactly what you want to do, right? And even though it's not coming from your own heart as the founder, in some ways you should be grateful because those folks are exhausted. You can right. get in there and volunteer and kind of dedicate all that energy and time and passion and money and resources of any type. They'll take it and they'll happily, happily welcome you in. And I feel like 
more often than not, I would suspect if I can get to a quantified number, I'll get it to you at some point because you know I'll run a survey on this. Yes. That it's probably a good 80% of the time we could be directing all of our real passionate energy and resources towards an existing nonprofit already there. Yeah. Just really, you know, helping to flourish other nonprofits who've already got the impact. They've already got a market. They've already got grantors. They've worked so hard to define. And I just think it's just a little bit more efficacious. Yeah, absolutely. So along that same vein, what are some of the ways that people can specifically as a community better support their favorite nonprofits? Yeah, well, I think we all have experience in this, right? We've all volunteered time. So if you show up to help volunteer at an event, or maybe you actually serve on a board, always take your money (laughs) because there are ways to find funding of some kind. I often will donate my time as a consultant in many different fashions to nonprofits around the area just to be able to give them the effects of my services and not charge them, which is the same thing, right? It's called an in-kind donation. We see this a lot when it comes to restaurants for food or for drink. You know, you see a lot of liquor sponsors often at music festivals, for instance, they're often hoping to get donation of beer and wine or something like that. Really, I think they'll pretty much take anything you're offering <laughs> since, you know, Goodwill items or something like that. And even then, you never know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Goodwill will take them. So <laughs> I know, but they're not technically a, a straightforward. Nonprofit. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what do you think, you know, why do you think the nonprofits fail? Because like, for example, my I mean, my mom's example is pretty obvious. There wasn't enough support, you know, rallying around her. You know, she was sort of the lone wolf in that regard. But like, what are some other reasons why nonprofits might fail? Well, in fear of being redundant, redundancy is a big one, right? So the same type of an organization that's already in an area where they've got many other ones just like it. So that becomes an issue. Founder syndrome is a really big issue right now. I think that we see a lot of people who have the expertise and business background that are coming in to this really passionate about what they're doing. They might even have some funding in place already and they don't delegate in a way that they could. They don't bring in the right board of directors to help raise continuous funds for sustainability and they burn out. And that becomes very difficult. I think picking the right business model for this nonprofit, meaning how you're trying to service that market that you're trying to get to, creating like fresh ways to reach them or service them and trying to find that really outside the box is becoming really important. How you're doing that is becoming really important so that you can actually reach the markets that you want to reach. I also think that something that's a little bit outside right now is I feel like I'm putting all this blame on people who really feel passionate. (laughs) And it's not about that at all. It's about doing it in such a way that is, you know, effective and efficient. Another thing that I think is an issue right now is funders and how the lens they're looking through as they start reviewing grants and submissions for this and the different nonprofits out there. There's a lot of pressure on them to fund and to fund, fund, fund. And so what I'm seeing currently, I am, there are so many nonprofits applying for grants that they're actually saying, okay, you know what? We're just going to give everybody a tiny bit. They're not really leading the nonprofits in a way I would like to see them lead a little bit more strongly, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. It does. This is just from an outside perspective too. But when I hear people talking about nonprofits, they're occasionally, we'll just put a general cap on this, 
(laughs) occasionally it's about ego. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, it's about like, oh, I started a nonprofit for X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? And, and we raised this amount of money or whatever. So like what you're saying in terms of, you know, where, whereas maybe they could say I raised like one thing, for example, I love, there's somebody that I'm following who's doing a summit right now and she pre-sold tickets. It's a free summit, but she sold tickets with like extra bonuses and Mm -hmm. all of the money that she went, you know, that, that she pre-sold these tickets for go to BIPOC farmers, you know, farm to table type, you know, the industry and companies. And I just thought it was really interesting to see that model. Whereas instead of saying like, you know, I'm going to start my own thing and, you know, and I'm going to, you know, take the credit for it which again, this is a generality, but for someone to say like, Hey, this nonprofit is doing this badass thing over here. I'm going to run a summit. I'm going to sell tickets for it. And I'm going to give everything I can. And in fact, I'm going to do all these extra bonuses, you know, like do, you know, donate a little extra and I'll give you this extra bonus because this is such a great, you know, mission and all of the money and all of the profits go to this mission. And that's something where she's doing everything in her wheelhouse, but she's giving all the profits to something that's already rolling and rocking and rolling. I think that that is, you know, really interesting model. Whereas, you know, starting your own has, it's like, well, it has all of the startup stuff that goes along with it. And you are also, you know, going, falling into those traps of, you know, where you might be able to invest in something that already exists. Well, and you bring up a really good point too about having that kind of a relationship with folks just like that, you know, and that's part of a nonprofit. The pressure that becomes put on nonprofit founders is to continue reaching out and trying to develop relationships so that people do actually care and give a crap about your mission or that they know you even exist. There's a band here locally who's quite successful, at least they locally reside here, and they constantly will play nonprofit events. And you do pay them to pay to play as part of their band fee, but then they turn around and give it right back to you. And so it's one way that they can fully support you and still reap a little bit of it because there's some charitable contribution there. But they do this and they probably write off, well, I don't know how successfully they do. I'm not privy to their tax, <laughs> tax situation, but we're talking 20, 30 shows a year that they're performing that, you know, and raising between ten dollars to $30,000 each and every time. There's all these creative ways to support the nonprofits in your area. You just have to be willing to think about it a little bit. Yeah. Think outside of the box for sure. How can people find funding? Like aside, like let's say they don't have a band or they don't have an exclusive relationship with an influencer. Like let's say I find a nonprofit that I'm really passionate about and I have limited funds. So I'm going to give what I can, but I want to help find funding for this nonprofit that I'm really passionate about. What are some of the ways that I, as a volunteer, or I, as somebody on the board, or I, as just an interested party, can help find funding for that nonprofit? Yeah, as an external component to the organization, I think there's a number of ways to go about finding funding. You know, you can ask businesses because businesses can write off as a marketing expense, or they could do in-kind. 
So you'll see that with a lot of printing services or like garment services, merch companies will offer that. And then of course, food and drink is much easier for them to just hand that over than to try to give you money. But you could also do sponsorships, which is of course, super welcome to specific events, talking to your neighbors and to your friends. If you care about this mission, your friends probably do too, because we are birds of a feather. So talking to your family and friends and neighbors about the nonprofit that you're really passionate about is going to be pretty big because they can attend events, they can give online, they can write a check. Another way that's a little bit outside of the ordinary at this point, and it feels weird to say that, is because it's kind of an antiquated approach, which is to get a like a newspaper article written about you, even regionally. It's pretty shocking. I had one written about a nonprofit that I started, which was unique, I swear. And out of that little article in our little area, you know, came, I think it was like $5,000 worth of donations, plus all of these instruments for unserved children so they could start playing music and gain music education. So from that part, I think it's really, it's the, the internal crew, you know, the development directors, the executive directors, founders, and the boards who might have a harder time (laughs) finding funding because they are swimming upstream with everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that you donate your consulting time to nonprofits. Tell us a little bit about the consulting that you do and how, you know, how that helps nonprofits as well. I've written like almost 100 business plans in my life. So when it comes to the structuring and organization of of any business, I can be useful (laughs) often. And when it comes to the nonprofit world, it's a little bit of a job security over there if I chose to accept that. So it's really uh, a great thing for me and it's really fulfilling for me to come in and work with inside an organization to build out a strategic planning, do some policy legwork, make sure there are charters in place and the bylaws and the articles that you were talking about earlier are really being followed and are properly written in such a way that it speaks to the organizational culture because there's a little tweaks and nuances that do kind of address some of that. And then additionally, you know, it's just all kinds of things like trying to help build out a strategic funding plan. What are they going to do? What's the ratio of events versus donors versus grants? Because you kind of need all of it. Working with grant writing, which is its own little beast, right? It's, it's basically a tiny business plan over and over. And how do you, in order to, if you're a new nonprofit, you're probably pulling your hair out trying to get a grant. And it's kind of like what we saw in that show, Sex in the City, which was if you need to get it, if you want a date, you have to have a date in order yeah. to get a date. And it's yeah. the same thing with a grant, right? Like you have to have had a grant for them to consider you for a grant. So how do you get that first grant? You know, it's just, it, it is, it's like you said, it's much more complicated than saying, I'm going to start selling widgets and I'm going to sell all the widgets in the world and make a million dollars and nobody's going to ask me anything. <laughs> you know, it's a very different world. So that's generally what I help with is I just kind of help navigate through that and synthesize the information in a way that makes a little bit more digestible sense. The structure really, I think is important. And I think, and and there's so many businesses too that don't have a business plan who are just <laughs> like winging it a little bit, you know what I mean? And so, get away with it, right? Like in, yes. a, in a for-profit world, you're like, oh, well, I'll just hire a bookkeeper. Oh, yes. well, I'll just get QuickBooks or I'll just, you know, not, I'll deal with my finances later, you know, or I'll deal with my inventory later. And in a nonprofit, you've got, like governmental agencies there to tell you all the ways you didn't do it correctly. And it threatens the actual existence of your organization. Yelled at in all these ways that this a for-profit does not handle. You really can't blow these things off. Yeah. 
And kind of back to that ego thing you were saying. Yes. You can smell ego-driven nonprofits like so quickly, like you can just sniff them out because they don't last all that long, that often, unless they're self-funded. And you see that they do skip all the steps and it catches up with them pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think there's, I mean, there's so many things I just for my own, I haven't done a lot with nonprofits myself, but I have definitely volunteered um, on boards of different organizations. I've volunteered even my own like venture into the Mexican culture and Spanish and all the things that I hold so dear is all started with a volunteer trip to Baja California and Mexico and where I, we did manual labor for a children's home. And that's just been something that's been near and dear to my heart. And so I think that, I mean, the overall message that I wanted to convey here is that nonprofits, good. Nonprofits are good. You know what I mean? But really evaluate why you would want to start a nonprofit, do your research know that you're not overlapping because you are taking resources away from an existing nonprofit if you are overlapping, you know, and know that this is something that is not only like a business in the sense that is built that way, but it sounds like it's even more stringent in the way that the oversight is. So it's it's something that you're really going to have to think about your level of commitment Like how passionate are you really? You know what I mean? How passionate are you really? And how much support do you have? Because this is not something that can be done alone. Yeah. And don't join a board if you're not ready to put forth the effort. You know, it's historically boards were meant to be sounding boards for advice and for direction. And it's really shifted into boards having much more promise of fundraising. Maybe they know people who would give large amounts like private donors or they've got companies they're tied to. And right now we're just starting to pull out of that that Venn diagram where it used to be all boards of advice. And now as everybody wants the board to do nothing but fundraise and that Venn diagram of overlap, we're now shifting to just the part where they fundraise. And so that's feel free when you join the board to know that you're probably going to be asked to fundraise one way or another. You know, whether it's putting together silent auctions or finding the donors or being comfortable being at events where you talk to high level donors and asking them, developing the relationship for the ask. Right. You know, that's, and that can be really uncomfortable for some people. And for some folks, it's really, really easy. Not a big deal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not for the timid or the faint of heart. That's for sure. Oh, no, I'd rather. What are some nonprofits that you're really digging right now? Like that you're into. Oh, there's so many. Yeah, I have I have a number of ones that I really like. Originally speaking, we've got one here. We've got a couple, Rogue Farm Corps and KS Wild, that work with like next generation farmers while sustaining a property that needs to be just, you know, saved environmentally for lots of different reasons. And so they work on trying to create, you know, land trusts and that kind of thing around that. While, you know, their sister nonprofit works with the future next gen of farmers. Super cool. But then I span over to like something like Kids Unlimited that works with, you know, 1800 of our youth population, all the underserved, what I call invisible population here of migrant worker children and other types of underserved populations. What they do is just absolutely incredible over there with the schooling. 
larger wise, you know, when it comes to a national and global level, I really, really like Mission Blue, Sylvia Earle's Mission Blue to really work on ocean cleanup and trying to build back, you know, the, the coral reefs and other various really big topics that we need to focus on to, for our ocean health. My buddy, Mark Brand, uh, has a nonprofit up in Vancouver, uh, BC called uh, A Better Life Foundation, where he actually works with the unhoused population and puts them to work and brings them in and just works with his... Uh, Vancouver was kind of the, the spotlight for where he started this mission, which was for everybody to be able to provide meals, just provide meals with compassion to those on the streets. And he hires only unhoused folks to come in and do work you know, in the restaurants. And he's expanded this all over North America. And it's just a force within himself. So I love that. I love that. Well, where can people connect and find you, especially, you know, like who are you really digging and wanting to serve? Let's start there. Who are you really digging and wanting to serve right now? Like who is your ideal client? Like you're juicy, like, yes, I can help you. Who is that right now for you? I would say... Probably organizations that I, I'm pretty attached to the, any organization that services youth. And so for me, that's kind of a, a thing, you know, if it's working with the next gen of any type, I'm pretty much a sucker for that automatically. And then really organizations that are ready to get down and dirty with it. You know, let's get some serious funding going. Let's really look at some systems and put in place some operational pieces that really needed some strengthening. And, and, and find ways that we can cooperate with other nonprofits. I think that's another big part for me is I don't want, I'm pretty adverse at this point to working with organizations that insist on standing alone. I think that collaborative efforts are way important at this point. And I think that we see that funders expect it. So it's, it's kind of a win-win. So anybody who's ready to go and wants to serve next gen, Love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, where can people find you the easiest if they want to connect with you? Oh boy. I this like the carpenter's roof always leaks, right? Like I'm helping everyone <laughs> else. I have <laughs> LinkedIn <laughs> is the very best way to find me and to connect with me for this style. Inside I'm just a closet junior high kid. So I've got all the Snapchats and everything, but that's all just personal. <laughs> so. I love it. I love it. Well, LinkedIn is the very best place to connect with most business people. So please connect with D. It's D Fretwell in on LinkedIn. And then also, if you haven't connected with me, shame on you, connect with me on LinkedIn and we can start a conversation over there. If you would like, if you're listening to the audio and you'd like to join us on the video, we are on YouTube as well. So please come over to YouTube and look at Dee's beautiful face. <laughs> Love it. And we thank you so much for joining us. There are two questions that I have less left for you. And the first question is, if someone was to listen to this conversation and walk away with just one thing, that's all they could remember, what would be the one thing that you would want them to remember from this conversation? I would say just be of service, you know, just listen to your heart. You're going to have things you care about and I want you to be of service. And it doesn't mean it has to come from your own blood, sweat, and tears of founding an organization. That there's a lot of good work to be done and we need you. So do it. 
I love that. And then this doesn't have to necessarily do with the topic, but what would you say is the best piece of advice that you've been told or you've read or you've observed? What's something that's just really resonated with your soul that you have taken with you? Yeah, I'm going to go back to my man, Mark Brand. He said something, I can't quote him because he says it so beautifully, but essentially what the, the message behind it is, disruption is really good. And when you see the disruption and you it speaks to you, that's where progress comes from. And that's where compassion comes from. And I think there's no, like there's an endless need for progress and compassion. So if you sense disruption, sit with it and let it speak to you and then use that as your platform to make change. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Dee, for joining us today. This has been a really special episode of the Client Experience Revolution podcast. We really appreciate you being with us. Thank you so much. Yes, thanks, Raya. Thank you. Well, I'm your host, Raya Gonzalez, and we hope that you'll join us next time for the next episode of the Client Experience Revolution. Thank you and have a great day. Welcome to the Client Experience Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Raya Gonzalez. And today we have a very special guest, Dee Fretwell of The Life Dom. And Dee, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Raya. Nice to be here. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, your business, and how you serve people. Yeah, I, over at The Life Dom, we work with both for-profit and non-profit businesses, quite often working towards some sort of strategic planning of some kind, whether it's business plan or strategic funding. We do a lot of work in operational aspects of the organization. I've spent 20 years doing this with with both types of uh, businesses and have drawn a lot of good experience and stories from such (laughs) experience. Well, we titled this podcast, How Not to Start a Nonprofit. And I know that you have decades of experience in the nonprofit space. And so it seems like it would be contradictory, but I think that it actually, you know, what we were talking about was more of a positive spin on things. So for people who are not super familiar with the nonprofit space, What would you say is like a common fallacy around nonprofits or, you know, common thoughts around nonprofits that just don't pan out the way that they think, you know, that people think they're going to? Yeah, I think folks often will perceive a nonprofit as less corporate fueled by passion primarily or by the motivation to reach a particular mission. And that is where we find weakness there, right? Because they're not coming at it from a very systemic position in a corporate world where set with guidelines and expectations and outcomes often really tying into the bottom line. And that's not too dissimilar from a nonprofit. And people forget that part. The bottom line in a nonprofit happens to be the mission, right? It's the mission statement. What's fueled the purpose of even having this nonprofit or participating with the nonprofit? And we've seen that start shifting pretty greatly over the last 10 to 15 years, seeing some of the corporate world start to bleed into the nonprofit side which I think has been very beneficial, but it means it's also opened it up to a lot of new participants and different levels of engagement with nonprofits. Yeah. So that number go up really incredibly when it comes to the number of nonprofit organizations themselves. Well, the closest example that I have to this was my mom actually 
So I have a younger sister who's two days younger than my daughter. She's 22. She'll be 22 next month. And she went through private school all the way through, well, all the way through, but at the time it was close to middle school and there was no private school in the area. And so my mom was trying to put together a private school that was a nonprofit. And so she had to do like all of this education, like she took classes at the local college, like, and she was spearheading and trying to get people to, you know, come on board with her. And what she found was that there was a lot of red tape involved and there was a lot of bureaucracy and it wasn't just a like rah, rah, come together around a mission type of a thing, but it was actually very corporate in the sense that, you know, you have to have articles of corporation, basically, you, you know, if you're going to get grants, if you're going to try to fund outside, you really have to know what you're doing. And if you're doing it with a passion project without the business knowledge, it can be extremely um, prohibitive to success. And ultimately she had to give up the project because she was the only one who really was running it and she needed additional support. We see that a lot. And a part of what happens in a nonprofit, especially at the beginning, is that you have to develop this circle around you, right? You circle the wagons of people who are really invested in this particular mission with you. They believe in you as the founder. And that ends up becoming your board of directors. Commonly, it's actually folks that maybe you're related to them or they're your best friends or they're great neighbors. You know, sometimes you find people who are really just strictly bought into the mission. Normally it ends up being somebody you have a personal relationship with. Mm -hmm. And that means that pretty quickly the organization has outgrown the board's capacity. They don't have the right types of expertise to really guide this nonprofit into a more successful sphere or zone. It ends up, you know, just being that founding board who has done such great work to help get the nonprofit off the ground. But when you start needing CPA advice or legal advice or, you know, having the right kind of guidance towards any sort of regulatory anything, it's not terribly often that we have friends and relatives who can encompass all of that. Right. You're kind of left standing with your pants down, right? You you just suddenly... I feel like it's almost more complex than starting a business. It often really, really is because you have to adhere. It's not... This is one of the big complaints about nonprofit positioning is that you never ask Nike what they've done with that 160 bucks that you just gave them for the shoes. They don't have to defend themselves for any reason. With a nonprofit, the minute you get funding, you have to defend every single penny of expenditure. And so there's like this duality here where on one level, you know, your your ultimate mission here is to service whatever your service right. is service. And yet you're being asked to also administrate over that times a million compared to what a for-profit does, which is strictly just to raise a bunch of money and, and make make everybody as profitable as they can. So it's interesting to see that duality for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Why would you say, you know, when we say how not to start a nonprofit, what, do you, what does that mean for you? Yeah, that's kind of my my chant, isn't it? Um, I, lo- I mean, I love it, but I but I want I want people to experience and understand like what that actually means for you. The reason why you wouldn't start a nonprofit is because of a couple different things. First, if we look at it quantitatively, when you have more of something, you literally have more, which means that if you're trying to divvy up 
funding or the number of volunteers or private funders, donors, attendees, employees, board members, the more nonprofits you have, the less you're going to be able to get from just anybody, right? You're asking too much of your population. You're asking if there's 100 nonprofits out there and you really only need 15 or 20, all of a sudden they're hit with so much that they can't they can't just give a lot to any one person. They're they're very, how would you say, just spread thin. thin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Spread way too thin. And so you start losing out on this opportunity to really find great fits for your volunteers and your donors and your grantors and board members and such, because there's just too much out there. And what we miss is that it's not terribly often that we all come up with the most unique idea. There are a lot of really wonderful nonprofits out, profits out there who are either coming really close or who are probably doing damn near exactly what you want to do, right? And even though it's not coming from your own heart as the founder, in some ways you should be grateful because those folks are exhausted. You can right. get in there and volunteer and kind of dedicate all that energy and time and passion and money and resources of any type. They'll take it and they'll happily, happily welcome you in. And I feel like more often than not, I would suspect if I can get to a quantified number, I'll get it to you at some point because you know I'll run a survey on this. Yes. That it's probably a good 80% of the time we could be directing all of our real passionate energy and resources towards an existing nonprofit already there. Yeah. Just really, you know, helping to flourish other nonprofits who've already got the impact. They've already got a market. They've already got grantors. They've worked so hard to define. And I just think it's just a little bit more efficacious. Yeah, absolutely. So along that same vein, what are some of the ways that people can specifically as a community better support their favorite nonprofits? Yeah, well, I think we all have experience in this, right? We've all volunteered time. So if you show up to help volunteer at an event, or maybe you actually serve on a board, always take your money <laughs> because there yes. are wise to, ways to find funding of some kind. I often will donate my time as a consultant in many different fashions to nonprofits around the area just to be able to give them the effects of my services and not charge them, which is the same thing, right? It's called an in-kind donation. We see this a lot when it comes to restaurants for food or for drink. You know, you see a lot of liquor sponsors often at music festivals, for instance, they're often hoping to get donation of beer and wine or something like that. Really, I think they'll pretty much take anything you're offering <laughs> since, you know, goodwill items or something like that. And even then, you never know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, goodwill will take them. So <laughs> I know, but they're not technically a, a straightforward. Nonprofit. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what do you think, you know, why do you think the nonprofits fail? Because like, for example, my I mean, my mom's example is pretty obvious. There wasn't enough support, you know, rallying around her. You know, she was sort of the lone wolf in that regard. But like, what are some other reasons why nonprofits might fail? Well, in fear of being redundant, redundancy is a big one, right? So the same type of an organization that's already in an area where they've got many other ones just like it. So that becomes an issue. Founder syndrome is a really big issue right now. I think that we see a lot of people who have the expertise and business background that are coming in to this really passionate about what they're doing. They might even have some funding in place already and they don't delegate in a way that they could. They don't bring in the right board of directors to help raise continuous funds for sustainability and they burn out. You know, and that becomes very difficult. I think picking the right 
business model for this nonprofit, meaning how you're trying to service that market that you're trying to get to, creating like fresh ways to reach them or service them and trying to find that really outside the box is becoming really important. How you're doing that is becoming really important so that you can actually reach the markets that you want to reach. I also think that something that's a little bit outside right now is I feel like I'm putting all this blame on people who really feel passionate. <laughs> and it's not about that at all. It's about doing it in such a way that is you know, effective and efficient. Another thing that I think is an issue right now is funders and how they're, the lens they're looking through as they start reviewing grants and submissions for this and the different nonprofits out there. There's a lot of pressure on them to fund and to fund, fund, fund. And so what I'm seeing currently, I am, there are so many nonprofits applying for grants that they're actually saying, okay, you know what? We're just going to give everybody a tiny bit. They're not really leading the nonprofits in a way I would like to see them lead a little bit more strongly, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. It does. This is just from an outside perspective too. But when I hear people talking about nonprofits, they're occasionally, we'll just put a general cap on this. Occasionally it's about ego. You know what I mean? Like, it's about like, oh, I started a nonprofit for X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? And, and we raised this amount of money or whatever. So like what you're saying in terms of, you know, where, whereas maybe they could say I raised like one thing, for example, I love, there's somebody that I'm following who's doing a summit right now and she pre-sold tickets. It's a free summit, but she sold tickets with like extra bonuses and Mm -hmm. all of the money that she went, you know, that, that she pre-sold these tickets for go to BIPOC farmers, you know, farm to table type, you know, the industry and companies. And I just thought it was really interesting to see that model. Whereas instead of saying like, you know, I'm going to start my own thing and, you know, and I'm going to, you know, take the credit for it which again, this is a generality, but for someone to say like, Hey, this nonprofit is doing this badass thing over here. I'm going to run a summit. I'm going to sell tickets for it. And I'm going to give everything I can. And in fact, I'm going to do all these extra bonuses, you know, like do, you know, donate a little extra and I'll give you this extra bonus because this is such a great, you know, mission and all of the money and all of the profits go to this mission. And that's something where she's doing everything in her wheelhouse, but she's giving all the profits to something that's already rolling and rocking and rolling. I think that that is, you know, really interesting model. Whereas, you know, starting your own has, it's like, well, it has all of the startup stuff that goes along with it. And you are also, you know, going, falling into those traps of, you know, where you might be able to invest in something that already exists. Well, and you bring up a really good point too about having that kind of a relationship with folks just like that, you know, and that's part of a nonprofit. The pressure that becomes put on nonprofit founders is to continue reaching out and trying to develop relationships so that people do actually care and give a crap about your mission or that they know you even exist. There's a band here locally who's quite successful, at least they locally reside here, and they constantly will play nonprofit events. And you do pay them to pay to play as part of their band fee, but then they turn around and give it right back to you. And so it's one way that they can fully support you and still reap a little bit of it because there's some charitable contribution there. But they do this and they probably write off 
well, I, I don't know how successfully they do. I have, I'm not privy to their tax <laughs> tax situation, but we're talking 20, 30 shows a year that they're performing that, you know, and raising between 10 to $30,000 each and every time. There's all these creative ways to support the nonprofits in your area. You just have to be willing to think about it a little bit. Yeah. Think outside of the box for sure. How can people find funding? Like aside, like let's say they don't have a band or they don't have an exclusive relationship with an influencer. Like let's say I find a nonprofit that I'm really passionate about and I have limited funds. So I'm going to give what I can, but I want to help find funding for this nonprofit that I'm really passionate about, what are some of the ways that I, as a volunteer, or I, as somebody on the board, or I, as just an interested party, can help find funding for that nonprofit? Yeah, as an external component to the organization, I think there's a number of ways to go about finding funding. You know, you can ask businesses because businesses can write off as a marketing expense, or they could do in kind. So you'll see that with a lot of printing services or like garment services, merch companies will offer that. And then of course, food and drink is much easier for them to just hand that over and then to try to give you money. But you could also do sponsorships, which is of course, super welcome to specific events, talking to your neighbors and to your friends. If you care about this mission, your friends probably do too, because we are birds of a feather. So talking to your family and friends and neighbors about the nonprofit that you're really passionate about is going to be pretty big because they can attend events, they can give online, they can write a check. Another way that's a little bit outside of the ordinary at this point, and it feels weird to say that, is because it's kind of an antiquated approach, which is to get a like a newspaper article written about you, even regionally. It's pretty shocking. I had one written about a nonprofit that I started, which was unique, I swear. And out of that little article in our little area, you know, came, I think it was like $5,000 worth of donations, plus all of these instruments for unserved children so they could start playing music and gain music education. So from that part, I think it's really, it's the, the internal crew, you know, the development directors, the executive directors, founders, and the boards who might have a harder time (laughs) finding funding because they are swimming upstream with everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that you donate your consulting time to nonprofits. Tell us a little bit about the consulting that you do and how, you know, how that helps nonprofits as well. I've written like almost a hundred business plans in my life. So when it comes to the structuring and organization of of any business, I can be useful often. And when it comes to the nonprofit world, it's a little bit of a job security over there if I chose to accept that. So it's really uh, a great thing for me and it's really fulfilling for me to come in and work with inside an organization to build out a strategic planning, do some policy legwork, make sure there are charters in place and the bylaws and the articles that you were talking about earlier are really being followed and are properly written in such a way that it speaks to the organizational culture because there's a little tweaks and nuances that do kind of address some of that. And then additionally, you know, it's just all kinds of things like trying to help build out a strategic funding plan. What are they going to do? What's the ratio of events versus donors versus grants? Because you kind of need all of it. Working with grant writing, which is its own little beast, right? It's, it's basically a tiny business plan over and over. And how do you, in order to, if you're a new nonprofit, you're probably pulling your hair out trying to get a grant. And it's kind of like what we saw in that show, Sex in the City, which was if you need to get it, if you want a date, you have to have a date in order yeah. to get a date. And it's yeah. the same thing with a grant, right? Like you have to have had a grant. 
for them to consider you for a grant. So how do you get that first grant? You know, it's just, it, it is, it's like you said, it's much more complicated than saying, I'm going to start selling widgets and I'm going to sell all the widgets in the world and make a million dollars and nobody's going to ask me anything. <laughs> you know, it's a very different world. So that's generally what I help with is I just kind of help navigate through that and synthesize the information in a way that makes it a little bit more digestible since the structure really, I think is important. And I think, and, and there's so many businesses too that don't have a business plan who are just <laughs> like winging it a little bit, you know what I mean? And so get away with it, right? Like in, yeah. a, in a for-profit world, you're like, oh, well, I'll just hire a bookkeeper. Oh, well, I'll just get QuickBooks or I'll just, you know, not, I'll deal with my finances later, you know, or I'll deal with my inventory later. And in a nonprofit, you've got like governmental agencies there to yeah. tell you all the ways you didn't do it correctly. And it threatens the actual existence of your organization. If yeah. you yelled at in all these ways that this a for-profit does not handle. You really can't blow these things off. Yeah. And that- kind of back to that ego thing you were saying. Yes. You can smell ego-driven nonprofits like so quickly, like you can just sniff them out because they don't last all that long, that often, unless they're self-funded and you see that they do skip all the steps and it catches up with them pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think there's, I mean, there's so many things I just for my own, I haven't done a lot with nonprofits myself, but I have definitely volunteered um, on boards of different organizations. I volunteered even my own like venture into the Mexican culture and Spanish and all the things that I hold so dear is all started with a volunteer trip to Baja California and Mexico and where we did manual labor for a children's home. And that's just been something that's been near and dear to my heart. And so I think that, I mean, the overall message that I wanted to convey here is that nonprofits, good. Nonprofits are good. You know what I mean? But really evaluate why you would want to start a nonprofit, do your research, know that you're not overlapping because you are taking resources away from an existing nonprofit if you are overlapping, you know, and know that this is something that is not only like a business in the sense that is built that way, but it sounds like it's even more stringent in the way that the oversight is. So it's it's something that you're really going to have to think about your level of commitment. Like yeah. how passionate are you really? You know what I mean? Yeah. How passionate are you really? And how much support do you have? Because this is not something that can be done alone. Yeah. And don't join a board if you're not ready to put forth the effort. You know, it's historically boards were meant to be sounding boards for advice and for direction. And it's really shifted into boards having much more promise of fundraising. Maybe they know people who would give large amounts like private donors or they've got companies they're tied to. And right now we're just starting to pull out of that that Venn diagram where it used to be all boards of advice. And now it's everybody wants the board to do nothing but fundraise. And that Venn diagram of overlap, we're now shifting to just the part where they fundraise. And so that's, feel free when you join the board to know that you're probably going to be asked to fundraise one way or another, you know, whether it's putting together silent auctions or finding the donors or being comfortable being at events where you talk to high level donors and asking them, developing the relationship for the ask, 
you know, that's, and that can be really uncomfortable for some people. And for some folks, it's really, really easy. Not a big deal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not for the timid or the faint of heart. That's for sure. Oh, no, I'd rather. What are some nonprofits that you're really digging right now? Like that you're into? Oh, there's so many. Yeah, I have I have a number of ones that I really like. Originally speaking, we've got one here. We've got a couple, Rogue Farm Corps and KS Wild, that work with like next generation farmers while sustaining a property that needs to be just, you know, saved environmentally for lots of different reasons. And so they work on trying to create, you know, land trusts and that kind of thing around that. While, you know, their sister nonprofit works with the future next gen of farmers. Super cool. But then I span over to like something like Kids Unlimited that works with, you know, 1800 of our youth population, all the underserved, what I call invisible population here of migrant worker children and other types of underserved populations. What they do is just absolutely incredible over there with the schooling. Larger wise, you know, when it comes to a national and global level, I really, really like Mission Blue, Sylvia Earle's Mission Blue to really work on ocean cleanup. And trying to build back, you know, the the coral reefs and other various really big topics that we need to focus on to, for our ocean health. My buddy Mark Brand uh, has a nonprofit up in Vancouver, uh, BC, called uh, A Better Life Foundation, where he actually works with the unhoused population and puts them to work and brings them in and just works with his. Uh, Vancouver was kind of the the spotlight for where he started this mission, which was for everybody to be able to provide meals, just provide meals with compassion to those on the streets. And he hires only unhoused folks to come in and do work, you know, in the restaurants. And he's expanded this all over North America and is just a a force within himself. So I love that. I love that. Well, where can people connect and find you, especially, you know, like who are you really digging and wanting to serve? Let's start there. Who are you really digging and wanting to serve right now? Like who is your ideal client? Like you're juicy, like, yes, I can help you. Who is that right now for you? I would say probably organizations that I'm pretty attached to any organization that services youth. And so for me, that's kind of a, a thing, you know, if it's working with the next gen of any type, I'm pretty much a sucker for that automatically. And then really organizations that are ready to get down and dirty with it. You know, let's get some serious funding going. Let's really look at some systems and put in place some operational pieces that really needed some strengthening and 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 find ways that we can cooperate with other nonprofits. I think that's another big part for me is I don't want, I'm pretty adverse at this point to working with organizations that insist on standing alone. I think that collaborative efforts are way important at this point. And I think that we see that funders expect it. So it's, it's kind of a win-win. So anybody who's ready to go and wants to serve next gen. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Well, where can people find you the easiest if they want to connect with you? Oh boy. I just like the carpenter's roof always leaks, right? Like I'm helping everyone (laughs) else. I have (laughs) LinkedIn is the very best way to find me and to connect with me for this style. Inside, I'm just a closet junior high kid. So I've got all the Snapchats and everything, but that's all just personal. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, LinkedIn is the very best place to connect with most business people. So please connect with D. It's D Fretwell on LinkedIn. And then also, if you haven't connected with me, shame on you. Connect with me on LinkedIn 
and we can start a conversation over there. If you would like, if you're listening to the audio and you'd like to join us on the video, we are on YouTube as well. So please come over to YouTube and look at Dee's beautiful face. Love it. And we thank you so much for joining us. There are two questions that I have left for you. And the first question is, if someone was to listen to this conversation and walk away with just one thing, that's all they could remember, what would be the one thing that you would want them to remember from this conversation? I would say just be of service. You know, just listen to your heart. You're going to have things you care about. And I want you to be of service. And it doesn't mean it has to come from your own blood, sweat, and tears of founding an organization. That There's a lot of good work to be done and we need you. So do it. I love that. And then this doesn't have to necessarily do with the topic, but what would you say is the best piece of advice that you've been told or you've read or you've observed? What's something that's just really resonated with your soul that you have taken with you? Yeah, I'm going to go back to my man, Mark Brand. He said something, I can't quote him because he says it so beautifully, but essentially what the, the message behind it is, disruption is really good. And when you see the disruption and you it speaks to you, that's where progress comes from. And that's where compassion comes from. And I think there's no, like, there's an endless need for progress and compassion. So if you sense disruption, sit with it and let it speak to you and then use that as your platform to make change. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Dee, for joining us today. This has been a really special episode of the Client Experience Revolution podcast. We really appreciate you being with us. Thank you so much. Yes, thanks, Raya. Thank you. Well, I'm your host, Raya Gonzalez, and we hope that you'll join us next time for the next episode of the Client Experience Revolution. Thank you and have a great day. 